Hi, I'm Dave Merlino. I'm Dustin Sweet, and this is the Know Their Story podcast. We talk to veterans about their time in service, returning home from war, and transitioning out of the military. Hopefully along the way, we'll inspire you to do the same with a veteran in your life. Because sometimes all it takes to make the world a better place is sitting down with a friend to know their story. Sorry, I'm already laughing. <laughs> Welcome to a special, special episode, more ways than one. Um, episode 18 of the Know Their Story podcast. Um, for our YouTube listeners, uh, you may have guessed that we are recording on Halloween. My outfit, I like to call um, going bald and shaving your head isn't the worst thing that can happen to your hairstyle with my mullet wig on. Uh, Dustin, what what you got going on? I'm a wizard, buddy. Can I or call I'm you Mr. Wizard, wizard? Harry, However you want to, however you want to take that. Let me see those sweet tattoos, Merlin. Now, you like the cobra? Yes. yes. This one's my credo. <laughs> no, where I grew up, I got I got dressed up in uh, uh, I got this wizard costume because uh, my girls are all going as witches, so uh, I'm going as a wizard, and we're not going anywhere. My girls are old enough that they go trick or treating with their friends, and dad, no. <laughs> so, all right, today joining us, why it's special that it's Halloween. We have a gentleman with us who, why this is a special episode. Uh, a lot of people may think he dresses up as a soldier and pretends, but actually, we're going to talk about uh, Vietnam War reenacting and why it is so important, A, to keeping our history alive. that many schools don't seem to want to teach anymore and also how important it is for the veterans so we have two guests today first i uh, started out in reenacting with the civil war uh and then moved on uh has done world war ii reenacting as well as uh started doing vietnam reenactments with a, shockingly enough reenactment of apache troop first of the ninth who happens to be the subject of our documentary um Apache Blues, welcome home. Uh, nice plug. But from that, he has worked with um, the World War II Museum, uh, Camp Shelby for a Civil War reenactment, the Trail of Honor, as well as the Army at Fort Polk for Vietnam reenacting, all of which we will get into, but please welcome Daryl Price. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. I love your look, Dave. I mean, you need to keep it, man. Quarantine's been good to you. <laughs> All right, I'd wear I'd wear it to Tigerland, but it's hot enough, and this thing itches like crazy, and I'm not sure it's going to make it through the episode. I'm going to start my timer. I'm I got I'm going to start the timer on that. <laughs> All right, and our second guest here to talk about what it is like, uh, what it means to the veterans to have this reenacting going on. A member of Apache Troop One Nine, a man who needs no introduction, literally, because he was our very first ever guest on the program, as well as featured in the documentary. Please welcome Richard Doc Del Valle. Good afternoon, good afternoon, Dave, Dustin. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being the first ever second time, two time guest on the show. Do I get extra pay? <laughs> what? Do I get extra pay for this? Absolutely, we will triple your salary. Okay. <laughs> As I tell my girls, anything times zero is still zero. zero. So, so quadruple it. 
Um, Dustin, how are you doing, Mr. Great, Wizard? man. Uh, Taos is fantastic. How's uh, how are you doing? Um, my head itches. <laughs> <laughs> I so. uh, I think that um, I think it's really great to have you here, Doc. Thanks for showing up, Daryl. As always, it's a pleasure to see you. Uh, you are one of the few uh, really, really treasurable little gems of things we weren't expecting when we started the Apache Blues doc. Um, it it uh, it kind of it kind of started off, you know, with with interviewing these guys, and, and when we when we looked at um, reenactments, uh, that there was a Vietnam reenactment to begin with was kind of a shock. Uh, because I, you know, I, I knew about uh, civil war reenactment, um, but I, I didn't know that it had carried on and progressed past that. Um, to find you doing uh, first and ninth air cav stuff was uh, <laughs> Dave called me up and was like, "Hey, guess what? We're gonna go do <laughs> in Louisiana in Louisiana in, in July. Are you ready?" <laughs> And I was like, no, I'm in no way ready for that. Let's, let's sign up for it. Um, how did you, to be fair, it was the last week of June. Hey, yeah, that's true. Pardon me. Uh, how did you end up getting involved in reenact the reenactment community? Well, I'd always had a love for history and, you know, I had a lot of family that was in uh, world war II, Vietnam. So I mean, I traced my family history all the way back and I, you know, always studied it and I was, uh, when I moved to Monroe, Louisiana, I ended up going to a small little event over in uh, Oak Grove, Louisiana. And I met some guys there and they were like, I was like, this is so cool. I, I wish I could do it. So they, you know, slipped me the crack pipe, you know, let me shoot a couple <laughs> guns and stuff like that. The next thing I know, I was buying horses, saddles, and, you know, I'm out riding and I had a great time with that. And then, you know, I just progressed to World War II and, uh, into Vietnam, my, I had three relatives in Vietnam. And, you know, I've always wanted to do it and I got an opportunity. We started doing things at a local museum doing World War II events for Veterans Day and Memorial Day. And that's where I met uh, uh, an Apache troop vet. And, you know, but he was a crew chief. So he told me, no, nah, man, you need to talk to guys in the blues. He said, that, that's what you need, you know, unless you got a helicopter, you can't do, you know, my end of it. So. He introduced me. The first person was R.B. Alexander, and uh, and R.B. and I have been friends for I don't know maybe fifteen years or so, talking back and forth, doing the impression, and then it started picking up at the trail. We started officially doing it in 2014, I think. It's whenever we put the blues out there, and I had several guys, and we started building the unit from there. But it's just grown out of that, you know, and being close with the veterans because we always have been, you know. And uh, I want to learn from them. You know, if we're going to do it right, I need to learn, you know, how you did it, not just what you wore, but why you wore it, what you carried in your pockets. RB used to ask, what difference does it make? What kind of wristwatch, you know, I had, you know, but I mean, I want to know the exact watch, you know, to get it just right, you know, and that kind of accuracy. And, you know, it, it's, it's been great. And I'm, I'm glad I've developed a lot of great friendships that I would, couldn't, you know, otherwise our paths would never cross, you know, so it's been wonderful for me. And over the course of the episode, we're going to kind of have to walk the audience into what reenacting really is compared to what I think a lot of expectation is of what it is. 
and Doc for your story because it started when we first met you in 2016. There's been, I think, a um, a progress of how much you accepted. Because I remember the first time we met and we talked about it, you were in the hell no, I'm never going back to Tigerland um, ever. And and I don't want to give away the ending, but over the years you've you've changed for that but what was in 2016 when you heard there was a a group reenacting not just vietnam but apache troop blues what what was that like to for you to hear that people were doing that you basically well uh, basically um we were very very proud of this i mean you know why didn't they do another unit? But the first and ninth, I mean, we had to be, I guess, special in a way. So um, uh, in 2017, a bunch of us got together and said, hey, let's honor these guys. You know, they're, they're taking the time to learn what we did. And um, uh, we went down there. We spent a weekend, right, Dustin? Yeah. I mean, uh, Dave? Yep. And, um, uh, you know, the group just opened us like, like we were a bunch of generals that are coming in to uh, uh, inspect them. And, and it was a wonderful reception. Um, uh, Daryl did a wonderful job. We were very impressed with the amount of equipment that these guys had, the outfits. I, I think they were better equipped than we were. <laughs> and um, um, we're very impressed, very impressed with the whole bunch, you know. And uh, they asked us a bunch of questions and, you know, they were very, very much interested in what we did. And you could see that they wanted to do it right. They weren't just a bunch of, you know, a uh, bunch of guys getting together, drinking beer over the weekend. And uh, they actually, um, you know, we listened in on some of the uh, map coordinates and, and it was almost like we did the real thing. It was everything that we did they had followed. Uh, the only thing that was different is they were using blanks where we were using real ammunition. But we were very impressed, very impressed, uh, all of us. And that's probably a good decision to make that one change. <laughs> yeah, the government, glad we made that decision, you know. So, and I wanna, like I said, I wanna stair step this because there is a very important reason why it's not just about going out for a weekend um and so i'm going to start at the end and say that reason is the trail of honor and the reenactment weekends we'll get into it but are kind of like research for what you're going to do with the trail of honor so could you talk about what the trail of honor is the the trail of honor is an event i'm very glad to be a part of it's a it's been going on for 18 years it's in Jackson, Mississippi, the weekend of Armed Forces weekend, the weekend prior to Memorial Day. It's, it's a stop for the motorcycle riders that ride from California to the Vietnam Wall. And what we have is a half mile trail in each conflict from French and Indian War all the way through to uh, Iraq Wars. We have a spot along the way with each time period gets to set up a little brief capsule, whatever they want to do to represent that conflict. You know, and we have uh, battles. We have a Vietnam battle, World War II battle, and a Civil War battle each day on Saturday and Sunday. 
We also have the Sky Soldiers out of Georgia bring two to three Hueys and a couple of Cobras and they're selling rides. We'll have inside the building, we'll have Medal of Honor recipients. We've had a, as many as five. We've had Nav Navajo Code Talkers, Tuskegee Airmen, POW Association, Batan Death March survivors, Pearl Harbor survivors. We, we have, I mean, it's a who's who in, inside and it's all free and reenactors the Earl Rotman uh, actually puts this event on. He treats us like, like royalty. We have about 200 reenactors and we average about 30,000 spectators a year to come in and out. It's, we have about 600 motorcycles on Monday where we bring them in, feed them lunch, and then they get to walk the trail. We have the traveling wall will be there on, on the trail along with us. We hope you can come and uh, set up set up and do your podcast from, from there. We, be well. we, uh, we're talking about that and then some little um, thing hit that kind of shut down all big group gatherings this year. Nah. <laughs> but here's what we need to do. All we right. need to get a table with all of the guys from the CBS video there. What do you think, Doc? Yeah, that would be fantastic if we can do it. I mean, you're um, not helping me out here, Doc. What's that? <laughs> you're not helping me out here. What, what would you want me to say? He, no, 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 no. Uh, no, I think it'd be really fun if we got everybody uh, together to have a, um, a round table after uh, like a like a 40 years later after action report. Uh, I think that might 50. be a really, a really good interview. What's that? Dave? 50. Sorry, Doc. <laughs> so, but it is actually surprising. People ask, and let's put it out there, that everyone in that video that was named made it out of Vietnam. So. Um, well, one fellow, actually, he was in it. He wasn't mentioned, uh, Dennis Henderson. Yeah. Unfortunately, he passed away um, seven, eight years ago. He's, he's the man who's... Who helped... Uh, he actually took... Craig from the front and brought him back where Jack Hughley and um, uh, the, the CP was. And um, Richard Threlkel got a little mixed up. He said, um, uh, Delvalier, as he, he called me, um, uh, brought another one of his uh, successful- Devalier. Yeah, uh, back and it wasn't me. I was still up front. And it was Dennis Henderson that took uh, Craig back. Yeah, that is confusion when people are like, man, that medic really changed his appearance. Up yeah, there. he's wearing glasses now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just so. hard to, it's hard to see violence like that and not need an update to your prescription. Uh, <laughs> um, but Daryl, you talk... You talk about the trail of people can go down it and all these... Oh man, I haven't had hair in my face for a long time. Um, you talk about how starting at, you said the Revolutionary War, all the French way French and Indian. Uh, yeah, it started French and Indian. <clears throat> so there's a reenactor at every spot along the way. What right. happens, like if I'm going down the trail and I stop at your uh, at Vietnam to talk to you, am I talking to Daryl or how do you, how do you do that? Uh, so, some people do the first person impression. Some people will talk to you. I mean, it, it just depends on the individual in the site. There's a lot of first person out there where people are going to talk to you and explain, you know, but most people want to know what's the equipment. 
you know, what's this, what kind of gun is that or whatever, you know, and, and you really get into the, you know, uh, when you have a large group of people, you can separate it out where somebody's talking about weapons, somebody's talking about the life of the soldier in the field, eating rations or whatever. So it's, it's just, it just depends. It varies on who you got and what time period you're in. So I mean, that's the best I can give you on that. Yeah. But the main goal of this is basically like living history then. It's... Right. It's to show the evolution of the American soldier through the 200 plus years of this country, you know, and the evolution of the equipment from the, you know, flintlock musket to an M60 machine gun to the, you know, helicopters in the sky, the horses, you know, I mean, it's all over the place, you know. And so doc for you, I don't think it's controversial to say that um, the Vietnam war is just not very well covered in school anymore. Um, I don't, th I mean, my daughters are in eighth grade and I don't think they've gotten anything I think on it. Skip right over it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, so for that, to hear that there is people trying to keep that, that history alive and, and to keep that education going, what's that mean for you as a veteran? Oh, I mean, it's important. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, especially, I mean, a lot of um, kids today, you know, where their grandparents that were in the Vietnam War and to, you know, carry on like, uh, like when we were in school, you know, World War One, we covered all the wars. World War Two was the biggest because all our fathers were in World War Two. And uh, then Korea broke out. You know, it's another war that was not you know, a popular war. No war is popular, uh, but um, uh, Vietnam was like basically kind of like swept under the carpet. We shouldn't talk about it. It's uh, something that was bad, you know, it ripped the country apart. Um, uh, it, it's something that should be covered as part of history, like everything else. And, uh, uh, you know, just sweeping it under the carpet doesn't, uh, you know, all we're doing is we're burying our heads in the sand. You know, why did we do this? Uh, one of the reasons were we were the first ones to really stop communism from spreading. And um, uh, I mean, today we're still talking about stopping communism, you know. Uh, like I said, it was just something that was just swept under the carpet. Democratic and, communism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, Sorry, had to. <laughs> um, um, like I said, it, it shouldn't be swept under the carpet. Uh, uh, not, no war should be swept under the carpet, no matter how small it was, um, how it hit the public. It should be remembered. You know, people put their lives on the line to defend this country. And uh, that's what I think a lot of the, uh, a lot of people miss, including adults today, especially adults. I think people just take advantage of it. You know, as long as they're not involved, as long as they didn't interrupt their life, you know, it's some other schnook that fought the war, not, not me. Yep. 
especially in an, a, a volunteer basis that we have nowadays. Correct. Correct. Um, so, so working back, Daryl, like we said, the trail of honor is one of the major things that you work right. towards. So you have a weekend every year, um, in actually where doc, you went through training, uh, before going to Vietnam, Tigerland. Uh, no, no, I didn't go to Tigerland. Uh, I was in, uh, Fort Sam Houston. Okay. Texas, uh, combat medic. Oh, for the, okay. Yep. My mistake. Uh, but a lot of a lot of veterans are veterans now, but soldiers on their way to Vietnam had a pit stop in a place called Tigerland in Louisiana, uh, which is, uh, adjacent to Fort Polk, Louisiana. Uh, and the reason that they went there is because the weather in Tigerland, uh, Louisiana in the summertime is a very, very akin to the weather in Vietnam. It's very hot. It's a very humid, um, <laughs> Dustin, I've been there three times. We will attest. It's very hot and very humid, and you get very sweaty and dirty. Uh, well, was... and there's bugs and snakes. Um, but there's a reason that you do that, Daryl. Um, why do you choose to to go through that? And and why do Civil War reenactors choose, you know, or Valley Forge choose to do things in the snow? Like, there's a method to your madness, is there not? Right. Well, I mean, Tigerland was the largest training area for infantry that, you know, for going to Vietnam. And so you feel a little bit closer. It's the nearest thing to Vietnam. The army took great care to, you know, to build these ambush sites and to, to you know, have areas that resemble as closely as they could, you know, and to go with the weather. So you really feel a, a, more of a, a closeness to the guys that served in Vietnam to say that you've been through Tigerland, to been through, you're in the same area they were, the same foxholes. If you watch Vietnam in high definition, that's the same area that we're in. The guys that are jumping out of the trucks, charging up the hills, that's the same hills that we're on now. So, I mean, it, 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 it makes it a little bit more special because it, it's like being on a, a real, it's the closest thing to a Vietnam battlefield, I, I suppose, that we could have over here without going to Vietnam. You know, so it's like hallowed ground. And, you know, we're very privileged to, that the Forest Service, the government, it allows us to do what we do there. And we wish there was more kind of historic representation there than, than what it is. And hopefully that's our goal is that we can get something going there. And, um, you know, the government, they're, they're willing to listen to what proposals you have. But, you know, we'll see where it goes from there. Well, there, if the government work, works quick on it, and, and does everything at hyperspeed for the government, I'm sure you'll have something in about 20 years. <laughs> at least, at least. Coming from a former government employee. Um, but also, um, yeah, Daniel Trilisek told us this, and he's he's reenacted the radio right. telephone operator and carried that huge radio on his back out there. Uh, he said the reason that they do that is because when you go to the trail honor, it's hard to talk about how heavy the radio is and how sweaty it is out there in that right. heat, unless you've actually done that. But that's, that's right. I mean, you know, that we look at it like this, you know, when we go to the trail and or we meet guys like doc Craig and all the guys that we've had the privilege of meeting as that, you know, all these things that you tell us, it sounds, it sounds interesting, but I don't know what it's really like until I put it 
put all that crap on and get out there and do it myself. And in the heat and everything, you get a little bit more realism. That's what I say. It brings that closeness where you can, you know, when you do meet one of these guys and, you know, it's like you have something in common to share, even though there's been a 50 year time gap in there. Somebody, yeah, I remember it being hot like that. Or, Man, I don't want to go back out there. It's, you know, I mean, it, it was great. The first year y'all came, I think, what was it? 112 with the yeah. humidity. And, and it, it, it was, I mean, it was so cool. Craig went with us, you know, on, on our maneuver that day. And that was, that was kind of, you know, to have somebody like Craig, it's well known him out there with us, like, man, he's going to pick apart every mistake, you know, but he was, he was a great teacher out there in the field. And, and that's what, you know, Jack and uh, has been a great teacher in RB and the guys that I talked to to learn because I do the impression of them. So I asked Jack, how would you do this? How would you do this? Or RB to get, that to try to make it right for the guys around me but I'm learning how, how they thought and then when I go out and try it you know like I said RB says now it makes sense why you want to know exactly what I had as opposed to just being close you know so I mean it is it gives you a lot more respect and I mean because that was rough I mean you think do it 365 days out there in in that kind of environment not knowing what the next footsteps going to bring so i mean you know you, you got when you do it like that you really get a lot more respect for anybody that served over there and that that is something that you know i mean it's it, you know it's just hard to imagine when you've never done it to just sit there and i and talk about it and you know so i mean that that's the added advantage of having tiger life versus you know the yard <laughs> yeah just go out in a field in michigan is a right. little different than the heat of tigerland i will say thank you to your your lovely wife julie who i'm sure is about five feet off screen listening to us um i would like to thank her for not telling us that tigerland is a rattlesnake estuary until the last day when we were leaving <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, something we don't really publicize that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watch out for the big wood piles. Got it. <laughs> um, yeah, we like you said, we did the we Dustin and I have been to Tigerland three times. Uh, first time in 2016 on our first trip, and we actually had Craig Jorgensen with us. And Craig was super down with everything until we we're about eight miles from the site because you do stay in Nogadish, Louisiana, which is what, about 20 30 miles, miles, 30 miles from the site. So you gotta you know, drive out there and he was super down with it until we got about 10 miles out. And then suddenly it's like, you know, super. Nervous. maybe we don't need to go back there. Um, he definitely, as we got closer to Tigerland, memory started coming up and he did not want to go in until we got in and actually parked and then he kind of calmed down and then Craig being Craig started talking to everyone and holding court and telling stories. Um, the next time we went back uh, was the next year on our second trip, but then we got a call from Doc um, our third time and saying, hey, a bunch of us are going back and we want you to come with us. So I kind of feel like Forrest Gump. So we went to Tigerland again. <laughs> um, but we weren't in the same car as you, Doc, because there were so many of us. What was that like for you, the closer 
you got i i know you didn't go to tigerland but uh, uh Dwayne and a lot of guys there did but just as you got closer and closer to knowing you were going to this reenactment and meeting these guys did did emotions start going through you or i mean i remember that i we, think uh, well, Dwayne was with us Dwayne uh Bloor was with me and um he was a little quiet until we like Craig, you know, with me, it was a whole new experience. I was never there. So, you know, hey, I like to see this place. What is it all about? And um, uh, with Dwayne, he was, uh, until we got there, until we started walking, uh, I guess up that little road right to your encampment, Daryl. And um, um, I guess everything just, Everybody started opening up. We started talking. And uh, actually, um, when we, we were greeted by uh, uh, Daryl and his platoon, and uh, they all lined up, and we all shook hands, and uh, uh, they greeted us like uh, uh, like we were the, 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 king, uh, the king of England coming over, you know? Um, uh, it, was, it was really impressive, and, and the, the whole encampment was really set up really nice and uh yeah i said jesus feels like we're back in the army again guys but uh, no it was, it was it was an experience and i and, and like with craig we all loosened up after we got there and um you know felt a little more uh, more at home i guess 50 years later or actually it was about 40 46 years later I, I do remember Dwayne, you know, and for Dustin and I, it was, we didn't know what to expect, you know, bringing you guys back and um, the guns, the, you know, there's explosions because it's near an artillery range. Um, we're like, all right, this is going to go one of two ways. One is going to be great. And the other, we're going to feel like shit for, <laughs> for saying you guys should come back. Um and Dwayne was standing there and and one of the reenactors was holding an M60 and they were talking and finally Dwayne just cut him off. He's like, are you going to let me shoot that thing or what? <laughs> he felt right at home. He felt right at home when he started shooting that. And uh, I said, boy, I said to Mary, his wife, I said, boy, he's right at home. He never forgot it. Um, we, we did get a slow motion video of him one handing yep. the M60 like he does in the CBS video. That was a good day. That was great. Um, I'll reverse that, Daryl, though. I mean, obviously, we brought Craig the first time, and Craig, yeah. having written all his books, which everyone has poured over, was kind of like bringing, you know, a celebrity there. Um, but the third time that we went, when we were bringing a lot of veterans, a lot of Apache Troop veterans, what was that like on your side when I text you and say, hey, we're on the way? Um well, I mean, you know, I was just worried because I don't have the best luck in the world. So everything, I was just worried about anything going wrong, you know, and we want to put forth the best impression that we can. And I mean, you know, because we're familiar with the names of, of Doc, Dwayne, you know, we, we knew those from, from Craig's book. So because Acceptable Loss was like the our guide to the impression right there. That's what, you know, recommended reading for all of us. So. I mean, it was just, it was very nervous and, and, you know, they were real welcoming and easy, easy to get to know. And I mean, which, I mean that, you know, they walk right in, you know, 
they made us feel at home. I mean, you know, at our own place, but you know, that the way they, they were very receptive to us. It was, it was, you know, amazing. And I mean, I, we'd love to have every vet we could, you know, come out and they all have an open invitation anywhere we're at, you know, we'll do the same treatment for, for anybody. But, um, you know, it, you know, it's hard to describe. I mean, like with, with the first time I met y'all, you know, when they called me on the radio, you remember we were out in the field. And uh, when you and Craig and um, the, you know, when y'all showed up. It was and, the guys from Hollywood. It was, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, like, look at me. Hollywood guys. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, so we didn't know what to expect. We were all kind of nervous, you know, at knowing who Craig was and like reading his books and like, well, they're there. And so here, here we are cruising up the road and, uh, when we got there, you know, Craig, Craig met us right out of the truck. I think he, we saw him sitting up in the camp. Y'all were all sitting up there around the, the registration in the encampment area. And, and he came and met us at the truck. And, uh, you know, I mean, same feeling at the reunion. It's like, I've never, you know, they're not strangers. They're very welcoming. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm flattered and very honored that they would even let me in the room with them. So coming to my event was very, nerve wracking because I was like, I know something's going to go wrong. You know, the safe will fall out of the sky, but I'm glad it didn't. And I'm glad, I hope y'all come back again. You know, anytime you're welcome. Dustin and I will be there every year, right, Dustin? I hate you. Come on, <laughs> Dustin. Come on, man. Oh, no, no. Technically, a good time, man. You guys put on a good event. I'm always, I've always been happy to be there once I got there. It's just such a trek for me. Well, I got a good Seattle to get Dave and then come across. Now we met in Houston. That was great because that was, was thunderstorms and we were some of the last flights to get in. And we <laughs> we went to the rental car place and we're gonna get our little beater medium sized. And of course they've got the uh, cherry red uh, Camaro sitting there. And uh, I don't think I they were prepared that. It's the one time that's happened to us that it didn't feel like a setup. They were like, they had just washed it and there was like some other guy talking about renting it. And Dave's like, no, I don't want to get in the Hyundai. I want to get in the Camaro. <laughs> and I said, how much? And they set a ridiculous price. So I turned my back to walk away and they're like, no, how about this? So we were bombing through Texas and Louisiana in a Camaro. It was great. Yeah, we so, you like guys went in guys. style. We did. So I'll get a Camaro if you go back again, Dustin. All right. Oh, uh, wait, my wife might watch this. No. <laughs> we were a little worried once we got to Tigerland and we remembered it's a dirt road and we couldn't remember how level it was. As we're in the and, and like the hard time we got for being the Hollywood guys. And Dave's like, well, get your sunglasses. Let's just do this. <laughs> um it's a good time. I, I had a really good time. The, you know, the first time we went out with you guys, we got to watch, um, we got to go on that patrol and watch Craig uh, change the way everybody was thinking about going on patrol. And that was really cool um, to, to have him uh, to watch this old broke down guy disappear into the forest as smoothly as Craig does. It's incredible. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good in the wilderness having grown up here in Northern Mexico, but I, watching Craig just vanish was in, impressive in every way. Yeah. Remember there was one guy, he, he snuck up on him from behind, yeah. went all the way around him, snuck up on him and hit him with a pine cone before, before he ever knew he was there. 
<laughs> yeah, because you do have reenactors who do play the part of the MVA and right. the VC. And they had, for the audience, they had set up an ambush on the trail. And I remember we were walking and I looked at Dustin and said, why are we walking down the trail? And Craig said, no, follow me. Took us off the trail and started walking through the woods. And then Craig left and he actually walked up to the VC trap and walked right behind him within about five feet and threw a pine cone at the guy. <laughs> said, hey, look at me. Um, but it did, it did erupt into a battle after that. And it was... It was loud, it was noisy, it was spread out. You couldn't see everyone. You didn't know where the shooting was coming from. Um, and I was running up a hill holding a camera and super impressed you can't hear my heavy breathing on the audio. <laughs> also super impressed I didn't fall on my face or run through a spider web. <laughs> or snakes. Yeah, or the snakes. They probably buggered out when the M60 started going off though. <laughs> yeah, it's always nice to have that. Yeah. Um, off the wall question for you, Daryl. How okay. much more money do you think you'd have in your life if you hadn't gotten into reenacting? <laughs> a lot. Uh, a lot. I could probably retire uh, by now. I mean, with guns, uniforms. Uh, I mean, what you can't see in this room is the, the books. The, I mean, I've got closets full of uniforms. I've got a storeroom out back full of tents. I'd probably have that Camaro that I could loan you. I would have an extra Camaro or a Hellcat. I don't know. We would drive. We would drive it very nice and politely. <laughs> um, go ahead. Go ahead. I say, Doc. There was a moment when you guys went on the last day, where the reenactors asked you guys for your autographs based solely off being Vietnam veterans. And I remember the look in your face when someone came up and said, can I have your autograph? Um, and let's see if your memory matches the look that I saw. Uh, there seemed to be a lot of surprise that someone would ask. What, how was that to be asked for an autograph as a Vietnam veteran compared to the welcome you got back 50 years ago? 50 years ago, they turned, your back, they turned their back on us. Uh, I mean, they caught us by surprise. Can we have your autograph? And like, for what? And um, uh, like, it just caught us off guard. Like you said, I was, I was shocked. Like uh, the last time I signed something like that, a cop was handing me a ticket and said, here, sign here. <laughs> but um, um, no, it was, it, it was really honored, really honored on that and um, we were honored like I said for these guys to you know to choose us and carry on what we did and um, um, uh, it, it was it was it was a great honor uh, I think all the guys felt like that um, uh, um, it's a, it was a shame that we didn't have more of the blues there because um, uh, uh, like Craig and, and uh, Jack Hughley, uh, James uh, Braun, um, uh, Ed, Ed Beal. Um, Tony. Tony, yeah. Well, Tony was uh, incognito at the time. Nobody knew where he was. But, uh, yeah, um, uh, uh, we were really honored, really honored. And, and we're, we're glad we went there 
to see what these guys put on, you know, what they, I mean, they really go out. Like I said, with the equipment, uh, the, the, uh, they try and do everything as accurate as possible. I mean, if, if they were to do a movie right then and there, they would, th you know, you would think you're, we're 50 years back in Vietnam again, the way these guys were handling it. All they needed was some helicopters and boy, that thing would have really been really realistic. Um, I know Daryl and I talked about helicopters there and it's what, $10,000 to get one? So, Let me see what I got in my wallet. Yeah. I'm a little shy. <laughs> No, we were very honored, very honored. And to um, have somebody come up and say, can I have your autograph? Why? <laughs> we're just regular guys, you know, but uh, no, they treated us, like I said, like kings. Get used to that for when the movie comes up. <laughs> What's that? Get used to us being asked for your autograph. Well, I was in the bathroom uh, when we did the one in uh, Seattle and some guy says, hey, you're in the documentary. Can I have a picture and can I have your autograph? And I says, you're kidding me. It's a, when we get out of the bathroom, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that happened. That's great. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, Daryl, when, uh, when you started off, you said you, you started off with... Um, uh, you didn't. You didn't start doing Vietnam reenactment right away, right? No, no. I, I did Civil War, and uh, I rode in a mounted cavalry unit, uh, the Eighth Texas Cavalry. Cool. And but one one of the things, like I want to explain about something Dave touched on earlier. There's a difference in in reenacting, where you have two. You know, with a Civil War event you have a living history aspect where spectators can walk through and talk to people. And then you have the battle for the public. Okay. Well, the modern is a little bit different. You have either you have a battle that's not open to the public or you have a living history. Those are your two main events. The trail kind of blends the two. That's makes it unique, but you know, so most of the time we're doing, I mean, I mean pre COVID, we might go do six or seven events dressed out for the public as, as Apache troop or, or World War II or, or whatever, you know, time period we were doing then. Right. Then we get to go put it, our Tigerland is like our, our, our fallback spot where we can put it all into practice and we can just, you know, run at our own pace and, and, you know, shoot at one another. And, but a lot of it's teaching history. You know, and I got to learn the history from somebody that was there to teach it to, to somebody that wasn't, you know. So, I mean, I'm kind of like a, a, a middleman there. So that's why I think it's important to, to do both types of events because you get uh, you got to get that experience. But I can't I can't meet a whole lot of veterans when I'm out in the woods and it's just eight or ten of us. You know, I mean, right. the, the guys coming to Tigerland was awesome. And, and you know. I mean, it, it might be, you know, drive me crazy, worried about something going wrong, but I mean, it, it's huge. And I, I love it that they, they came, uh, you know, other events too, like I'm saying the trail, when I'm there, I'm telling more of, of, of Jack's story of the things that, you know, I, I'm telling from, from like what I've learned from him, from his perspective or RB or Gary Qualley, 
you know, things that I've asked them where at Tigerland, I'm more me, you know, I'm, I'm going to try see what, from what they've taught me, if I put it in the field, how well can I get it done? They got it done great. You know I mean? But I don't know that I can. So that's, that's the challenge, you know, it's like a, a practice game or something, you know, if you relate it to sports or something, I guess, I don't know, but yeah, that I, I started civil war and it's just a whole different world, but I, I was, raised by my grandparents and they were world war ii era and then i had you know three uncles in vietnam and and the, the bad thing was, was like you didn't get to talk to them you know it's like don't ask them about vietnam you know kind of what doc's touching on when they first came home and there's always been a huge interest in, in my generation in, in vietnam veterans but it, you know don't start nothing don't ask don't do this don't do that you know and now we have the opportunity sadly all three of the the my relatives that were in vietnam passed away so i never i never got to get too much information out you know out of them about their stories but i mean just you know these guys 18 19 years old and you think about when you were 18 or 19 then you get put in that situation you know i mean so yeah it's we do it out of respect and, and a love for those guys because I mean it's, it's you know Apache Troop had a great story they were unique in, in itself y'all know that from and so and RB I always asked me that what you know he said that's a small platoon you know you you put a a pin right in you know just a, a twenty seven men now, how did you get to that point you know. And it, it's huge that you represent it and, and that they appreciate it. We're, we're glad it works. You know, we're glad to do it for them. I mean, it's an honor, you know, for us that, that they allow us to wear their name, you know, so to speak. Well, and that, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago of something RB said, and I think, and it's the same that we've gone through with the movie when we focus just on one platoon inside a troop instead of a, a big overview of a history lesson of Vietnam, like a lot of documentaries. Um, for you, you know, you portray the blue, the lieutenant of the blues, who people called blue. There's only been so many blues in history in Vietnam. It's a handful of people. Right. And, and, and does that personalize it for you a bit more to say, like Jack Hughley, Gary Qualley, um, RB, and, and yeah. others? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was what I think five. There was five between sixty-seven and seventy-one, and uh, you know, at the reunion, I, I was there with RB and with uh, Dan and Gary and Jack wasn't there, so I'm, I'm friends with with four living blues. So I mean, you think out of the whole U.S. Army that served in Vietnam, there was only five people that did the impression that that were actually the impression that I represent. So that's a that's a small funnel, you know, to get it down to that. So, I mean, that's, I mean, to, and to have all of them that I could call and ask questions to is, you know, I mean, I, I worry about it every time I go out, am I doing it right? A, at a living history, am I doing it right? Am I wearing this right? Whatever. And I get a lot of, you know, sending pictures back and forth to them talking about it. So, I mean, it's like you're on the tip of the, the, the pen, when when you do this this impression so i mean it, it is it's you got to put a lot more work into it and i'm glad i've got the people that can help me that they take me serious enough you know 
Yeah. Yeah. It's super cool. Yeah. Uh, that they're, that they're willing to talk about it and willing to, you know, I mean, that's just who those guys are though. Right. Like they're all so mellow about everything and, and, and committed to the things that they've done and the things that they're doing. They're really, I don't know. I, I think you bring them a lot more joy than you think, man. <laughs> I, I hope so. I mean, I, I, it's, it's great to, you know, like to say, I mean, it's, it's great to be, have a friendship. I mean, just, yeah. you know, to know these guys, Doc, all of you, you know, I mean, I'm honored and I try to stay in touch because I mean, I value the, you know, the friendship. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm just glad that we got that kind of, of where, if I need to know something about the blues or what blue would have done in this situation, it's a phone call away. I can go and I can get different perspectives and you get to see how the tactics and everything, you know, going from the earliest RB is the earliest that I have the day and how they progressed and the missions changed and, and, or things like that, or what their personal thinking was, how they ran the platoon is awesome to have, you know? So, uh, I mean, uh, uh, how else could you get that information? It's not in books. Yeah. You know, so. And to drive home the point that this isn't just a, you know, hey, let's go out and have fun for a weekend. How much work do you and Julie, would you estimate, put in each year to hold that one weekend at Tigerland? Well, we, okay, Tigerland is next June. The third weekend of June, I think it is, or second weekend, we we started planning it about three weeks ago. We we actually started opening up the business end of it and started making phone calls. The same thing with the trail. It it's a year-round thing. We start we take about a, a month off after Tigerland and then start planning the the next event. It's you know you got to really want to do it. I guess you know. I mean, I'm a glutton. But, uh, you know, we got a good product and, and we want to keep doing it. And uh, it's the same thing with the trail. I mean, it's planning meetings, planning meetings and, you know, hoping that it'll go 75% to what you actually plan for or planning in some of the, the potholes. But, it, yeah, it's a, I mean, it, it's a lot of nights. Uh, you know, I've, I've said this, that it I'm, I'm like a telemarketer sometimes, you know, I get on the phone at six in the afternoon and maybe a, a 11 that night when you're calling people, Hey, how would you like to come to this event? And, you know, you're going on trying to keep everybody in the information loop. And, uh, you know, I mean, sometimes I don't, uh, this all I do and it, it might be months of uh, phone calls like that to try to get something done, you know? So then the money, like we, we covered before, you know, uh, there's my Camaro sitting out there in a big bag of canvas, uh, <laughs> you know, so, but I don't regret a penny that I've spent. I'd do it all again if, if I could. Um, I just wish, that, and we're hoping that the hobby will grow. I mean, and, you know, having more realistic stuff, you know, the hobby's going to grow with the right kind of people that don't just want to get out of the house for a weekend. So that's what we're hoping for in the things that we do and then being out there to, to the historical events are, are great. You know, when you get to actually talk to people, Houston air show was wonderful. Danny and Norma Rojas that, you know, come to visit us there or visit with Jack when we go over there and, you know, and you have 80,000 people that come through. There's a huge 
of Vietnam community in Houston. So they love us. You know, they, they love seeing the, the blues out there in Vietnam reenactment. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things that you, you enjoy for it that offsets the work is what I was getting to that you, you put into it, that reward of getting to hang out with Danny all day. That, you know, that's worth it. That, um, you know, or the, when y'all came, the last time y'all came to Tigerland when Doc and all came with us, when they left, you know, we got it on video where they, they turned and saluted us. That was unexpected. And, you know, I mean, that made it, that makes you want to go back and do it again, you know, and for all the work you put into it, that unexpected reward there was something that I can't, I can't describe, you know, from my point of view, just, I mean, you know, what, you know, I don't ever feel like I, I feel like I could do something better, you know, that I should do something better. And, and to, like I say, the friendships and everything that I have, I mean, I'm blessed to have, it, and I hope we can keep doing it for a lot longer. You know, and if you can talk Dustin into coming, if you got to buy him a Camaro or whatever, um, you know, just stick him in the hey, I'll buy you one, little toy one, room, room. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll make it green. I'm in. It could All sit right, right next to my Hellcat. Yeah. <laughs> um, Doc, Daryl mentioned that veterans are always welcome there. Um, as a veteran who's been there, what would you say to other Vietnam veterans about what the reenactment community is about and what they could, having gone through it, what would you say to them? I'd say go. If you're interested, go. Uh, like I said, these guys, they put on uh, this, they take this very serious. It's not like they get dressed up and they're sitting around drinking beer. They're actually doing something and uh, reenacting what we did as soldiers in Vietnam. So uh, as a Vietnam veteran, I'd say go if you're interested. Um, but uh, a very interesting thing that Daryl said was, uh, um, you said that three of your uh, relations have passed. Yes. We're the fastest dying veterans uh, today. I mean, um, they weren't in their 90s, right, Daryl? No. No, they, they were in their seventies. Uh, they they were uh, one was 70, 73, and the others were younger than yeah. that. They were in their mid sixties. Yeah, and and this is the problem that we're faced with: um, uh, veterans dying, uh, especially with this Agent Orange that we had to um, we knew nothing about, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, and it's a shame that you really, you know, today maybe you could talk to these, uh, your relations on, uh, you know, uh, did they, were they alive when you did your reenactments? Uh, only, only one was alive when we started doing Vietnam again and he couldn't make it to the, the, the first year we did Vietnam at the trail, he couldn't make it and he passed away. Mm -hmm. shortly after after that uh i invited him but he he, he was he was sick then he had COPD, right, right. and uh he could you know he couldn't get out very much so he passed away shortly after yeah and, and that's a shame because um you know it, it make it he would have felt great you know that you're showing interest in what he did and not just you know what he did 
uh, it's all forgotten. You know, as the years go by, everybody forgets about it. But you know, to 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 show that you had interest in, you know, what he did, you know, it's a it's it's very important to veterans. Um, uh, and like I said, getting back to schools, you know, history is the biggest. Forget history, and you might as well forget about what went on in you know uh, in the past years because history is like i said is very important and not only in war in anything uh uh, uh it seems like uh, uh a lot of things are being passed over that are important that uh, people should remember um well and we were out at Tigerland for two days. We've talked about what it was like driving in. Was there any type of therapeutic effect for you? Not necessarily Tigerland, but just as a veteran to kind of being out there for two days and being connected to that and, and, and being around the military equipment of your era. Was there any type of therapeutic effect for you that weekend? Yeah, I, uh, it, it brought back a lot of memories. Um, uh, Christ, we haven't, I, I haven't picked up an M16 in 46 years or even put a helmet on. I put my helmet on and I said to my wife, what do you think? She says, take it off. You don't look like it. <laughs> but uh, no, just seeing the equipment um, and even thinking back and say, boy, we slept in cots. We slept like this and all that. And uh, it brought back a lot of memories, a lot of memories. And it, it, that night, remember, we had gotten around the motel room and we all talked and, you know, it, it brought a lot of memories back for everybody, you know, how everybody felt and all that. And um, it was good. It was good. Really good. I think it was better um, uh, therapy than even talking to uh, in the PTSD class that we go to. Um, it was even better than that. Hmm. So. There's, there's something for you to build around, Daryl. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it was great to see Paul McCord. You know, Paul being an RTO, you know, Daniel latched onto him. And then, you know, before long, Paul had the, the radio on his back walking around with it, you know, and and, uh, da you know, Daniel told me he, he loved that conversation with Paul. He, they were just sitting over there talking radio stuff and, and teaching. And that, you know, to us, that's what it's all about right there. And uh, Paul told me, you know, it, it, he felt really good after he came. He was worried, too, but that he felt right at home, you know. And, and I mean, people were very constructive, asking, you know, intelligent questions. And, and you know, I know... Sometimes people don't ask the most intelligent questions out there. And, um, but, you know, it was great to see, you know, Paul and Daniel, you know, Daniel's working on, on carrying that radio. He does a great job with it too. I mean, it's a 20 something pound weight on your back, you know, and walk all day in that heat. So, I mean, he's really good at it. And, and but, you know, he's learning from guys who really did it. So, I mean, and he's, he, I mean, just sit back and watch him 
work the radio, I mean, it sounds very authentic, very realistic what he what he's doing. It's like watching a, a movie. So, I mean, I'm, you know, like I say, I, I mean, I'm in all the guys that I reenact with and the people that they're learning from and they teach me more than I can teach them. And so, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's good. You know, I mean, it, I, I, like I say, I want to keep doing it. I'm going to come back to the reunion, I hope, if I get invited back. And I'll, maybe I get to see y'all there. I get to ride in the Camaro. You'll have to kick Dustin out. The back seat doesn't really exist. <laughs> yeah, it's not really room. Uh, sorry, guy. We're all too big. To get I'll tell you what, you can, ride, you can ride with Merlino, and I'll drive your Hellcat. It'll be all right. That'll work. He'll pay the 10000 to swoop in on the Huey. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that would, that would be good. Um, you uh, developing the Vietnam reenactment. I mean, you and Julie really have been a spearhead on this. It's not like there was a bunch of things out there to join. Um, kind of the development of Tigerland and, and people going has kind of followed along the course of how Vietnam is being seen in society. I think there's right. a lot of groundswell that's been building over the last few years. You had a, a couple of false starts on building it, didn't you? Yeah, we, we did. I think the first time that we actually tried to do something like this was about 2005 or something and the you know the government like nah you know they don't they don't want to fool with it and when, the first year we started you know Fort Polk didn't want anything to do with it and and you know because I understand they don't want to they don't want to lend their name and tie themselves into to God knows whatever I mean, because in the end, you're just talking about, I'm going to invite a bunch of people I don't know onto your property and shoot real guns at one another. And there probably won't be an accident, you know? So that, that's what they hear. You know, the, the insurance people, you know, are, you know, develop smoking habits and everything like that over the time. But I mean, it, it just takes time for, it's just the reenactment thing, warming up to it. Uh, the time period, you know, I mean, Vietnam was controversial then, and, and it, it now, I mean, it was great to see, I think, uh, last year, in 2019, or, or maybe it was 2018, uh, Fort Polk opening up, you know, they had a big weekend that we got to be a part of with Colonel Mark Leslie, and the, the post commander uh, bringing back all the local Vietnam vets and having a big ceremony, putting his troops on display and welcoming everybody home. And so you see attitudes have changed and, you know, it, it's great to see the Vietnam vets are, are very active and they come out and, and they always willing to hang out and give you a piece of advice or a story or two so you know there is a lot of interest in it and the hobby starting to starting to grow and from more than just um you do, around the country you might just have three or four guys here three or four guys here and they go do air shows or, or you know if the city wants to put up a veterans day display a vehicle or something out there and now it's starting to get far more organized to where you have big events you have you know uh that are separate from the air shows that everybody still continues to do. So we're hoping it'll continue to grow and bring more people in, in the market. Uh, usually it takes a big movie. Saving Private Ryan, World War II was, was just exploded after Saving Private Ryan and then Band of Brothers came out. 
we had tons of 101st Airborne reenactors. There was probably more uh, reenactors than there was in the Airborne at the time. I don't know, but but uh, yeah, it, it, it it's going to take like big things like that to grow. I think you know your, your project, your movie project, that's going to add to the growth where you know where you get the guys out, and and that benefits us from that standpoint. If you've got more people that are willing to come out and talk and tell their story to somebody like me you know and i mean the interest is there you know it's just now you got to marry the two two groups together and um and make it work but the media for all those years you know i mean rambo i mean you know you've seen those type that's how they characterized men who've been in vietnam and that was nothing like the three relatives that i, I talk about you know acted nothing like that and i mean i, I wish i could have talked more about their time in Vietnam and just instead of the few pictures that I have. But I mean, now we can change that. We can do what we can, you know. Yep. Tell you what, Doc, how about we get a band of brothers about uh, the blues going? That would be nice. Can you call HBO for us? Let's just. I'll try anything. All right, let's start the groundswell today. You know, let's do it. <laughs> I'm in. I like it. All right, Dustin, I'm going to turn it over to you. I'm going to step back. Well, all right. Uh, let's see. Um, I guess my my leave out questions are, uh, um, Daryl, you you started off doing um, you started off doing the uh, cavalry with the with the um, Civil War, with the Texan uh, Texas Rangers. Yeah, Texas Rangers, and then then you then you went to the to World War II. Is that right? Right, correct. Um, and then you've had this opportunity to talk to um, to blue to these guys who watched the tactics change over the course of the air war. What's your viewpoint on the on the development of the U.S. cavalry over time? Does the how, how have in your experience what are the little minute changes that might not be found in the history books that that have really uh, that have really affected the way that you think about the job of the blue? Well, I mean, the, I, I guess the premise of the cavalry, you know, the, it, prior to the civil war, cavalry was just basically guarding uh, supply lines and things like that, where in the civil war, the, the Confederates being better horsemen, uh, you know, they, they kind of developed it where they could be a, an aggressive force and attack in the rear and be very mobile and shock troops. And then, you know, we all know from the, the Indian Wars movie with John Wayne, you know, wagon trains being surrounded and then you hear the charge and the cavalry comes over the hill. Well, I think like in by Vietnam with the, 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 the helicopters, you know, the cavalry is definitely mobile. They can go here and there and you hear, you know, two, the blues going two or three missions in a day going from here to here to here and but they could be anywhere at any time and you know I've read in books like that you know don't shoot at the helicopters with the yellow sabers on the front because they come back and fight you know is what yeah. you know what what they would the Viet Cong would tell so I mean it but you know I guess that basic is still still the same you know it's just that we're coming and, you know, I mean, we're going to hit here, 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 the fast mobility 
and plug a hole here, plug a hole there and take care of their own and get them out, you know? So, I mean, the cow was, when you think, man, I mean, a 27 man platoon at, at full strength and you're under strength and you dropped into an LZ where everybody hears you coming and there's no telling what's in the woods around you, man, that's a, a heck of a day. But then to go do it for a whole year, you know, I mean, that's, that's a, a you know, an amazing thing. And uh, I mean, my hat's off to all of the blues. It is remarkable in every way. Yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely. And um, I mean, you know, I mean, how do you keep your wits about you? And, and to, to have the ability to talk to the guys that I have, and I mean, they're, they're very proud of that. And the cab is just different. You know, there's still the, the, the dash of, of the cavalryman, you know, the, the sabers and the, the Stetson Spurs, stuff like that. I mean, I've got friends that are in a cab unit now and they still wear Stetsons and Spurs, which I think is really cool. The tradition, they're very honored of the tradition and bringing them forward. Cool, man. Yeah. Now you got a, you've got a really, um, uh, I asked the question cause you've got a really particular viewpoint, you know, you've studied this thing for a while and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you, you got insight other people don't have. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I love the, I love the horse, uh, cavalry. And I mean, you know, at Fort Hood, they still have a mounted team. I think yeah. at, at Fort Riley, they do too. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, it, it's that, that history, but, you know, it's just different in, in the cavalry, just, you know, I mean, that, I think that's like I was saying. I think that hard hitting, fat hits you here, move here, move here, and and just you know, with that is still still the same premise. You know, you you're, you know you're going to be under strength. When guys were on horses, they couldn't be accurate with a pistol like they could men standing on the ground with a longer rifle. But they went in anyway. You know, and uh, I mean, just you know, the hell bent for leather. You know, they, they were coming, and I mean, so I think a lot of that's the same, but obviously the equipment and the, the way they use it and just like learning from uh, how they did missions were, uh, ro- you know, mission rotations or, or something like that. It's what, what like RB talks about where they had to kind of modify their tactics because the enemy was modifying their tactics and stuff like that, and the terrain dictates and, you know, so, you know, 1860, you were picking a plane that was wide open where you could put 100 men on line to charge across the field, where now you got, how do I get the helicopters in and out? I mean, that's just interesting for me to study. I'm still learning it. I mean, I have, you know, I mean, I've just, I know a little compared to what there is to know. So, you know, I mean, it's just a steady learning process. Just stay teachable yeah. and you learn well, I have one question about those Civil War, the actual battle reenactments. I mean, obviously, you've got two lines against each other, and you've got the salvo of rifles, and obviously, someone's got to die. Like, not everyone misses. Right. Are you assigned who's going to die before you go into that, or do you just hope that every single person on your side doesn't decide to be the person who dies and everyone falls no. over? No, you, you, you really don't. I mean, they, they are scripted because they're for the public. So you knew going in that either, you know, which side was going to win. And, and usually, if, unless you're trained as a stuntman, they kind of, they, they kind of 
don't want the cavalry to take a lot of hits, you know, um, at a gallop or something. So you're not trained in falling off a horse at a gallop, <laughs> right? I've, I've done it before. I've, I've done it before. I got the scars to prove it, but on um, purpose. No, it wasn't on purpose. It, it wasn't on purpose when I did it. No, but uh, a lot of times it's the infantry. They, you know, how they did it. I guess they drew straws or whatever. But you want to take a hit in the shade. That's the, that was the key. You know, fall out in the shade. Don't fall out. In the, I mean, we wore wool, thick wool uniforms, and uh, so you, you want to take a hit in a place where you can you can lay and and uh, sun's not in your face, but. Uh, you know, it, it was always just kind of, kind of scripted like that. And in the cavalry, you, we did a lot of, of, of attacking in the flank. So we, we were running a whole lot. And in Civil War, in a small event, the cavalry goes to the side that has the least amount of troops. And it doesn't matter if you're in the north or the south, the federal army always has less troops. There's guys from up north want to come down here so they can play Confederate. I don't know. That's their thinking, but I guess it's the underdog. Uh, but so we, I, I did a lot more federal, which led me into Indian wars. So, uh, you know, we, we rode uh, as second U S cavalry and uh, you know, they, they were interested in, you know, in, in the East, that's where you see all the sabers. Right. The clashing with sabers, but in the West, they didn't really carry sabers. They carried extra pistol because mm -hmm. you have a range of zero meters with a saber, but if you have an extra gun, you got six more shots. So, you know, it, we, we just ran and shot. I mean, that was the, and we did a lot of campaigning and uh, did events that were nine days long. Wow. And, and stay in the fields. And so, yeah, you, you have to, you got to learn to manage your, your horse. You got to learn to manage your ammunition, your water. You got to learn to live like they, that's why it's in, I would, that started me into the, the modern period. Cause I always wanted to talk to one of these old horse soldiers and ask, how did you know, how'd you keep this from rattling? How did you keep this? How did you manage it in the field with only one canteen of water? How, what do you do? But now I have that. I can call up. Hey, Jack, let me ask you a question. Hey, RB, hey, doc you know, so I can get an answer. So there, that's my personal thing. You know, that's what I like. And, uh, but that's an adrenaline rush, riding a horse across the field wide open and charging into them. That, that was always a rush. All right. Um, where can people find you? Everyone's listening now and saying, oh my God, I want to go to Tigerland next year a veteran who maybe wants to come back, someone who wants to reenact, where can they find you? Well, you can find us on Facebook. If, uh, if you can find you, you ought to find a link to the Apache Troop 1-9 Reenacted, or we have a Facebook page for the actual Tigerland event entitled Tactical at Tigerland, and then the date of the event. You can ask to join, and we can hook you up. Excellent. Doc, any last words from you? Anything we haven't covered? No, I think uh, Daryl did a good job. He did a good job. Um, like I said, we're very impressed. Very impressed. Um, did a good job. <laughs> Thank you, Doc. 
Daryl, any any last words from you? I I think y'all are doing a great job, and I, I, I'm glad I could be on here with you guys that you would actually put me on here. And, and I thank Doc for taking the time to be on here with me, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again. And a great job with the podcast. And come see us, man. Come see us again. Heck yeah. I got this right on my desk right here. A little gift from, from you and oh. your, your bride, Julie. Yep, I have one. I have one as well. It was it was pretty easy because you guys gave us Alpha Bravo and Charlie. And of course, our, yeah. our director of photography, Charles, goes by Charlie. Accidentally, we called him that for like six weeks. He's like, actually, I prefer Charles. I'm like but i so i gave him charlie and i was like okay between dust and i who's the alpha <clears throat> yeah you made great cup decisions yeah so hey his right. new hats are in production that's uh because of covid i've had production issues so when it, now they're opening back up so i'll be producing them again i'll keep you guys in, in mind and nice all right and what is the date of Tigerland this year? Uh, well, we haven't had the date set yet because of the COVID. Yeah, we're waiting a little bit. I think we were going to move it because of the heat. I think it was, we, it's still going to be in June, but the date will be posted soon. All right. Going to be there, Doc? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> we uh, might show up the whole bunch, you know? Just live life with no regrets. No, no regrets, right. <laughs> so, Dustin, anything from you? No, man, that's me. That's me. I'm sorted. All right. It's not Happy Halloween, you guys. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. You're Happy welcome. Halloween. And I can't wait to get this wig off. <laughs> Dude, you made it way longer than I thought. I was really expecting you to throw that thing on the ground like an hour ago. Your face has gotten progressively redder. <laughs> I was going to, but then you were going to make fun of me, so I stuck it out. <laughs> I thought I thought ten minutes, ten minutes was the best. I'm proud of you, Dave. Thank you, thank you. It will be off in about forty five seconds, though. Um, but thank you for joining us. For the audience out there, again, thank you for joining us. Check out Tactical at Tigerland on Facebook. Uh, make sure to like and subscribe to our channels if you like what you hear, whether you're on Apple or Spotify or Spreaker, uh, YouTube, uh, so you can see our fantastic costumes for this Halloween. Um, but thank you for joining us, and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Know Their Story podcast. If you made it this far, we must be doing something right. Let us know by subscribing to our channel. And think about sitting down with the veterans in your life, because saying thank you for your service should be the beginning of the conversation, not the end.